You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to Parlour Summer Salon on this beautiful, sunny, summer December day after a really rainy week. Um, my name's Molly. I'm the program producer here at M Pavilion. It's really nice to see you all. Um, I just like to acknowledge the land that we're on today, which is the stolen land of the Eastern Kulin Nations. Um, and I acknowledge the traditional custodians and their elders past, present and emerging, um, and all the custodians of various lands um, and waters across Australia that have existed and continue to exist across time. Um, I also acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded and that it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, and I'd really like to, you know, I'm so privileged to have Justine and um, Suzanne and um, Marika here today. Um, and I'll pass it over to Justine. Thank you, Molly. Um, so my name's Justine Clark and I'm a co-founder and director of Parlour. It's really fantastic to be here for the 2022 Summer Salon. Um, this is Salon number 80, which is a fact that I can't quite believe. Um, the Salon program started here at the M Pavilion in October 2016 and um, so it's really great to be back under this very beautiful canopy for um, today's conversation between Marika Neustupny and Suzanne Dance. And this session has been a really long time in planning too. Um, we started talking about it, I think, according to my email, in March 2020. So I'm thrilled that we're finally here together <laughs> with these two extraordinary and wonderful women. Um, and this is a really special salon for us, um, in addition to the fabulous speakers. Um, not only is it number 80 in what has become an incredibly successful and much-loved series of events that we've run across Australia, it's also our last event for 2022, which is Parlour's 10th year, something else which kind of amazes me. So it's been a really big year for us for many, many reasons. Uh, 10 years is a pretty big achievement for a very small non-profit association that came into being kind of by accident and we kind of invented it as we went along. Um, of course, as most of you probably know, Parlour began as the result of a very serious need to improve gender equity in the profession and the amazing group of people that Naomi Stead assembled in 2011 for the three-year research project on gender equity and diversity in Australian architecture. Parlour's also, it has to be said, partly the result of Naomi and my never-ending opportunistic delight in shiny new things. <laughs> We're not very good at saying no and we kind of like, you know, making stuff happen. Um, and the wonderful woman who joined us on this endeavour and also tried to keep us in check. So Jill Matthewson, Susie Ashworth, Julie Willis, Alison Cleary, Sarah Lynn Reese, and most recently Alison McFadgen, who's now taken on responsibility for running the uh, Salon program nationally. So that's you know, partly why we've had so many this year because of her fantastic organisational skills. 
Um, so Parlour's kept growing and developing over a decade because of the enormous support, interest and engagement of the people and the practices who responded with such enthusiasm back in 2012 and gathered around us to help make things happen. We wouldn't be here 10 years later without those people, which includes you. Um, so I just, I don't usually talk so much about Parlour at the start of the salon, but it just seemed like the right moment. Um, to say thank you to everyone for helping to make Parlour a success. And thank you to all of all of you who've joined our new supporter program this year, the Parlour Collective, which is a huge um, new undertaking for us. And again, uh, was embraced wonderfully by the Parlour community and really ho we hope will set us up for the next 10 years. So this salon is partly a summer celebration at the end of that 10th year as we look forward to the future. And the salons are definitely at the fun end of the range of things we do. Um, as most of you know, they're about bringing people together, about convivial conversation and connection. If you've been to a salon before, you'll know the format is deceptively simple. We simply invite two women at different stages of their careers or lives in architecture to interview each other, informally and if, as if no one's watching. Um, we just hand the microphones over and tell them to get going. Now, I know Marika and Suzanne have had many conversations together, <laughs> so, so they're very well prepared for this. Um, as I said, there are a few rules. Our speakers can take the conversation in whatever direction they choose. And there's only one rule for you as an attendee, which if you've been to one of these things before, you will know. You just have to make an effort to meet someone you don't already know. Um, and I'm sure there'll be someone here you don't know. Um, and just bowl on up to them and say, Justine said I had to meet you. So, Okay. All right, here we go. I'm nearly there. Sorry. <laughs> so I'm very pleased to welcome Marika Neustepney and Suzanne Dance as our conversationalist this afternoon. Marika is founding director of NMBW Architecture Studio. She has a strong background in researching, teaching, having taught for over two decades at RMIT, Melbourne and Monash. She completed her master's at the Tokyo Institute of Technology and her PhD at the University of Queensland. She's the co-chair of the Institute's National Committee for Gender Equity and a huge, great and long-term friend of power. Suzanne, uh, Suzanne, I was, I was just saying, I've not had the good fortune to meet Suzanne before, but as long as I've lived in Melbourne, I've heard her name, so I'm thrilled that you're here. Suzanne has been a sole practitioner since the 70s and a strong advocate for heritage in the built environment. Her work includes private commissions, community projects and architectural cons conservation. But she's also really been an advocate and an activist for, the, for, for heritage and built environment. She's participated in a range of local and state organisations, including the city of Fitzroy, now Yarra, the ARBV, the Historic Buildings Council, the Institute, and the Victorian Building Commission. Suzanne was a member of the Women in Architecture and the Women's Winter School. And we're delighted to have you both here and take it away. I'm gonna get off the stage at last. <laughs> so, shall I, I'll, I'll just, hello? Ah. <laughs> yes. Uh, just. <laughs> We were just going to note that it's true what Justine said, that um, we've been trying to organise this since March of 2020 and we're indebted to Parla because as a result of that, we've become quite firm friends 
uh, we've been meeting probably every three months thinking, okay, we're about to do this. <laughs> Let's get ready. Um, so perhaps I'll pass it over to okay. Sue. Um, we were trying to work out when we first met. Oh, yes. <laughs> we were trying to work out when we first met and um, that was very clear, I think, that we had... Um, uh, it was proactive from my side. I was in the second year of university and um, Jeff Turnbull was my history, 19th and 20th century history uh, lecturer and his grand finale for the year was Suzanne Dance. So we... Oh. Yes, it's true. <laughs> so we went through all different Australian contemporary architects and he saved you to the end and it was clear that you were very important. So um, separate to that, though, I did notice for myself that I, I thought the way that your work looked at... Um, sort of material and the cultural meaning of the material was definitely something really interesting for me. So then very, well, people like Philip Goad were telling us all to go and get a job. Um, so I thought, well, there's obviously one person that I would go to, but you didn't really have any work, I don't think. <laughs> but you let me have an interview and then... And then you said, well, if you don't have any luck with any other interviews, you can come back. So, of course, I didn't have any luck with any other interviews. <laughs> I went to lots of offices and about eight interviews later, I, I rang Sue and there you go. <laughs> That's how we met. <laughs> Internship. Are we going to? <laughs> We've got a little. Yeah. Here. Well, I. We've yeah. We're going off piste, off list. Um, I think that anyway. I think that we were we were going to say something about how when I was at your office as a little tiny weenie, <laughs> second year student. Uh, of course, I was very curious, and I found lots of things which I remembered. So even when I met you again later, I remembered all those things. And one of them was an intriguing box of um, architects in schools information. So I, of course, when we started having our lunches, I asked you about that. Um, and I thought everyone would be interested in that <laughs> topic if you'd like to elaborate. Okay. I think it was around the mid-80s and I think it was initiated by the Education Committee of um, RAIA, Victorian chapter. Um, and they got together uh, primary schools and architects to work together because the idea was to sort of introduce children to architecture from a, an early age. And with, they thought this would be this would be a plus for the environment if this happened, or at least the architecture world. And um, so eventually they employed someone full-time to organise this program. And there were um, 
schools and architects matched together. And I went on, um, the guy who ran it was called Bandy. Um, and I think it went on for about 10 or 15 years, I'm not quite sure. Um, I, I did a school in Bendigo, which was California Gully, which is the most exquisite school. It was a Basto um, 1873 school. <laughs> um, and we had, I think, the education department contributed the money and for this school they contributed 7,000. The idea was to work with the students um, developing ideas about design. But there was a bit of a struggle because the school really was very poor and needed the money <laughs> for <laughs> useful things. And so it was a bit of a battle. But So we did, in fact, we did a little pavilion because they wanted um, shelter shed um, and the students helped the builder uh, build, build the pavilion. And the next one was um, Westgarth Primary School where they had no outdoor space and what they had was really valuable. So we did, there was one classroom that was sort of not being used for the moment and we did some design work and construction of models and eventually we built some larger scale furniture for this room. But I think we only had $300 or something for that school. I don't know why the discrepancy, but anyway, that's, that was architects and schools, which seemed to me to be a really good idea. We just thought that was a nice thing to talk about with everybody mm. here because it's something that probably um, has been forgotten, I suppose, along the way, that you know, quite a good system did exist and somehow it's probably with Cole Bandy sort of stopping, do you think? Uh, the momentum well, has stopped. He died. Or, yes. Yeah. Mm. So it, it's yeah. important the actual people who are involved, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> next topic. So next topic. <laughs> so you you left Fitzroy. You were left Australia. Yes. <laughs> well, we didn't meet again for quite a long time. Mm. Uh, um, I was after working with you for a summer holiday, basically. Mm. Then um, I finished the university and worked in various offices, of course, and um, then went to Japan. But finally came back and um, I lived in Fitzroy. I moved to Fitzroy. And so then we started to see each other in the street, didn't we? And you with the baby stroller. Yes. <laughs> so that, that was where things were at. Um, and I suppose... Oh, well, we, our office also moved into Fitzroy, but the baby stroller still stayed. Um, and I think the next time we met was um, pretty much almost um, after the baby strollers had been packed away <laughs> quite a long time later. Um, and it was a parlour event. I don't know where. It was a parlour event, I think, was one of the first um, outings that I made um, when I felt free and able to leave um, 
everything <laughs> without worrying. <laughs> um, and that was, I've written it down because I think it's quite important. It was the Working Between Cultures session in 2019 with Sarah Lynn Reese, Elisabetta Hetta, and Shanine Fanton. Um, and that was a wonderful event. And also at that time, you told me about the women in architecture groups from the 1970s um, and 1980s. the 1980s. 1980s. Sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> you told me about the women in architecture groups um, and also the women's winter school. So we thought mm -hmm. that was a good thing that you could um, elaborate on again for everybody here. Yeah. I think uh, Women in Architecture, I was a bit of a peripheral um, member, but it was a pretty good organisation <laughs> and ran some really good talks, a bit like, like it was a forerunner of Parlour and maybe it even bled into Parlour, I'm not quite sure. Um, but then I got more involved in the Women's Winter School, which emanated from... RMIT where I was tutoring and uh, but we joined up with some people from Melbourne University so there was um, Kerry Wise and Mariana uh, Lozanowska <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> Anne Pender um, Anne Gartner um, Sorry, don't look at me I don't know no, <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry, I probably, and a few other people, very useful people. And we decided to run a, a workshop for women in, mainly, not necessarily students, but for RMIT, yeah, I think. So we, someone had a contact with uh, the owners of a boarding house in the Black Spur called the Hermitage, which was a building constructed by Lindt, the photographer, I don't, 19th century, early 20th century photographer. And we hired that for the long weekend, the Queen's birthday weekend, it was freezing, but we had these wonderful fires, so we sat around and did things. and. The group of us who were organising it made a program for the weekend. It was like an elaborate design school program. And each of us ran a workshop, um, sort of morning, afternoon and evening. And then we had cook, we all cooked dinner together and sat by the fire and chatted. And it was terrific fun, actually. <laughs> and had the most wonderful garden, yeah. But How many people do you think? Were I think about 20 to 25 people. It, it ran for several years, but I was only involved in the first two or three um, sessions, I think. Yeah. So we did think about how um, it's a very odd sensation because um, particularly Mariana and Kerry were my teachers, mm. um, but it was... Pretty much, I was pretty much in first year, I think, when the women's winter school finished. Um, so they were my teachers and I knew them. Um, and that feels like they were a link, but we, <laughs> and yet you and I never met. <laughs> so that feels 
very close, at least. <laughs> um, and then we were going to um, talk, talk about... about the, yeah, your, th your thesis, I yes, think. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, we, we thought that um, it could be a good um, moment to just think about um, the idea of presenting um, work as well. So, um, you know, it's obviously isn't, it wasn't possible at, um, at the time, but it would be interesting to think about whether um, that would be a, a good situation for my PhD to have been presented, um, for example, um, because although I didn't really talk about it um, in the written document itself as being something about um, women, it's about water infrastructure in the domestic environment. So there's definitely a, a social side there that um, is unspoken. But I think also that the, um, the methodology is where I'm pretty interested in a link with you and your way of doing things um, because I was looking very carefully at detailed um, questions and existing conditions about um, historical situations and also cultural culturally specific um, building uh, situations, um, which seemed to me that it was very interlinked with some of your research. I was so excited when I found the um, Fitzroy... I'm right, I've written these things down in case I forget. <laughs> the Fitzroy Melbourne's First Suburb book, um, which I found at the library and I could buy it, and a chapter by you in, in there, which had um, amazing drawings when you'd interviewed um, five or six women in their 70s um, and asked them how did they live when they were children in, and you'd drawn the plans of the houses where they'd lived um, and described how they'd lived in those houses. It was a very exciting discovery <laughs> for me. Uh. Well, that book was a result of um, a group of people in Fitzroy who were pretty dedicated to preserving the existing buildings because uh, particularly in the 70s, they were incredibly under threat. And um, also the council was really... Um, well, I suppose it all started with Whitlam, in a way. Um, the, we worked, to, everyone worked to get him in. <laughs> and um, he got in. And then there was that heady time when he and his deputy, Lance Barnard, um, actually uh, were sworn in as the government. And the two of them just passed all this fantastic legislation, which was to do with community, basically, and equality. And it was such a change from, you know, preeminence of the individual. So, and it was just too heady, and we were all excited about it. And I think um, one of the, well, there's several 
areas in Fitzroy that emerged from it, but the Fitzroy Council was particularly um, community-oriented or and they also were pushing to get Labor in. And um, so we formed a committee at probably there's one wonderful woman who was on the committee called Louise Elliott and with her and with um, or Peter Elliott I think initially and Ray Tonkin who became a head of the Heritage Victoria uh, who was Gordon Loder um, and um, an historian, uh, Ray Sumner, and another historian um, who was also a councillor. Uh, we formed this committee called Urban Conservation Advisory Committee to the Fitzroy Council. And I guess the, the sort of really um, crucial issue was St Vincent's Hospital, which is a terrific hospital, but they really didn't have a sense of being in the community or certainly a sense of the buildings they owned, the sort of worth of the buildings. So we heard they were going to demolish Glass Terrace in Gertrude Street. So uh, we got together and knew then in 1974 the Historic Buildings Council, which was the forerunner Heritage Victoria, had been formed under the um, Victorian Hamer government. And we knew that we could probably protect the buildings by having them registered there. And so we worked with um, Dragoon, the National Trust, and the Fitzroy Residents Association and various people into presenting cases for it, the terraces registration. and. St Vincent's brought in their high-powered barristers and we had this long um, session and won. So, and then St V's started <laughs> deciding to demolish other buildings around the perimeter of Nicholson Street, um, Gertrude Street and Brunswick Street um, that they owned. Uh, and I think... Oh, anyway, we worked on this case. Osborne House was a, by then a rooming house that had begun as a sort of boarding house when the exhibition building buildings were constructed in the 1880s. Um, <clears throat> so we worked on that and then we worked on other terraces, Barcelona Terrace, Royal Terrace, Mononia, um, which is actually directly owned by the Vatican. <laughs> um, and of various other buildings that they had their eye on. And then this committee um, learned that the Academy School, which is in Nicholson Street, opposite the exhibition buildings, um, was going to, planning to demolish a bluestone house, which was the home of the first Catholic Archbishop in Melbourne, Archbishop Gould. So we focused on that building, that was 1850, I think it might have been 1854, I've forgotten now, but pretty early Bluestone um, building. Um, 
anyway, and it went on from there. We, there were other buildings that became vulnerable and we presented cases. Um, and it went on for years because it took a long time to present each, <laughs> a prepare and present each case. Anyway, that's, <laughs> that was that. I, I feel it's completely um, impossible for you know, people who are students now to understand how much threat there mm. was for mm. the character of our city. Um, and, you know, I mean, there obviously wasn't just Sue, but it takes a whole swathe of dedicated, literally dedicated individuals, which I suppose links back to the what we were just saying about Cole Bandy as well. But um, mm. these dedicated people are the ones who... Um, have stopped that from happening. It's completely incredible, really. <laughs> but um, uh, one of the things I think is useful is that idea of um, photographing buildings to make records. You told me that you made little cards of certain mm. buildings to try and um, give them some validity, something like that. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Um, there was Fitzroy had an engineer who was also the building surveyor, and he was the one who said yay or nay to um, demolition applications or building applications. And he was he came out of the um, school school that believed that these buildings are really um, ready to fall down and should be cleared, the area should be cleared. So he almost always gave a demolition permit to anyone who wanted one. And he had permanency, so he was very difficult to remove. Um, so the council decided that our committee should um, perhaps make a list of the important buildings and uh, rate them, rate the the buildings in Fitzroy, so that he would have a tool um, every time someone submitted a permit. But in fact, um, a group of us, um, mainly the people from UKAC, um, went off in pairs first thing every morning for a few mornings. We each had an area of Fitzroy and we um, rated each building in Fitzroy according to an a, B, and C, and D <laughs> uh, describe their materials, the style, the period, etc., and entered them onto those cards. If you you probably don't know about card systems, so pre-computer systems, <laughs> anyway, and gave them to him, and they just sat in his office gathering dust. So. That didn't seem to work. And the crunch came when the birthplace of Alfred Deakin, one of the early prime ministers, um, in George Street, Fitzroy, was given a permit and demolished overnight. And that was that. So um, after that, uh, what happened there? <laughs> We suggested that we that the council employ a planner because 
There was the odd planner in the odd suburban council, but there weren't really planners in urban, in urban areas. And it seemed like there had to be a, an equal professional that would keep an eye on him and control him. <laughs> and that's what happened. And um, Harry Bechevez was employed as the planner and he employed Ros, Ros Hansen, who has become a pretty well-known planner here, and another guy. Um, and they then hired Jacob Lewis and Vines to do what was an early conservation plan for Melbourne um, of Fitzroy. And they rated not just the buildings and did further research and deeper research into the buildings, but they rated the areas and did the North Fitzroy and the South Fitzroy study. And that in turn was adopted by Evan Walker, who was Minister for Planning in the Kane government, um, for to form, I think, one of the early conservation zones within the city. Um, yeah, I think that was that, that story. <laughs> it, obviously, we could go, you know, go into more and more depth about all this. It's an, a really amazing um, history and I feel like um, it would be great to um, be able to access that a little bit more easily, but perhaps you and I can, we can talk about that later. <laughs> um, but I think that I'll just quickly mention that part of that photographic records um, mm. sort of idea was this um, historian... Um, John, wasn't John O'Brien? John O'Brien. Yes. Yeah. And um, I was really happy when you um, let me join you to meet his wife, who's still alive, um, and we could look at the photographs that he took of all around Fitzroy, including the street where I live now, which was completely amazing to see um, in the moment between demolition and... Um, well, I guess the moment of demolition. It's quite, it was quite horrifying, actually, to realise the emotional turmoil that the people who live there must have been going through. It's very kind of violent mm. um, to witness those photographs. Um, but perhaps we should um, move on because that, the um, sort of interlinked question of um, the make good exhibition... Oh, yes. Um, which was um, coordinated by Nina, Tori Henderson and Jessica Wood mm. um, and um, Peter's here as well. Um, and uh, you, I thought that you might be able to explain the um, Fitzroy Housing Repair Advisory Service a little bit, um, which was the topic of that exhibition. Ah, uh, yes. Well, in fact, the exhibition was, um, was it 50 years after <laughs> the formation of the Fitzroy Housing Repair Advisory Service, which Peter's just... <laughs> <laughs> and it was for the Melbourne um, Design week, yeah. Weekend Week. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, it opened on March 2020 when the whole city closed down. So unfortunately, 
this wonderful exhibition, which we were so thrilled about. Um, didn't but at have least, it at least we could go there at all. I yes. think it, the Sunday w that um, you spoke, or maybe it was a Saturday, was the last day that mm. that Melbourne Design Week was allowed to operate and then everything closed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the Fitzroy Housing Repair Advisory Service started in about 1974, I think, and it was, it was an, again, um, the council was heavily supportive, if not suggestive, of the idea, but and Peter lived over the back fence from me in Fitzroy and there were several other people who came together to meet. And I think this was... You looked at what was happening federally with this new government and you just thought, wow, you know, <laughs> it has to sort of filter down into the world of architecture somehow. And, you know, um, so we looked at the local community and one of the things which was a hangover from the Housing Commission um, wholesale clearance was were these repair orders that the Housing Commission placed on every second building in Fitzroy um, to begin with via what they called a windscreen survey. And so that Fitzroy residents, it was a bit like a miniature version of the robo-debt, um, had these inspectors coming around um, looking at houses and making lists and um, saying, well, look, you have to fix up this crack in the gully trap or, you, um, you know, the sink needs flashing or... Um, well, some of them were more major than that, but a lot of them were really minor things. And... So pe people would work on this list, get their repairs done if they could, but a lot of people couldn't afford to, to employ anyone to do a repair because Fitzroy was pretty run down at that time. Um, and so, yeah, the inspectors would come round again to check to see that you'd done what you said you'd done properly and then they'd usually add a few other things to the list. So the list just kept on going and going. It was hanging over these people's heads. And, well, actually, where I live, we had one too that hung over my head too. But, um, and then they could turn into demolition permits. So one of the um, sort of inspirations was this idea of providing services for people with these orders to be able to lift them without having to spend too much money. And also, because there are also a lot of other people in Fitzroy who we wanted those buildings to remain so um, they could have, anyone could have the benefit of this service, which was um, to advise on... Um, or oh, a bit of design, but mainly repairs um, and um, ways of going about getting a permit and things if you had to. 
So and you did inspections, didn't you? Yeah. For people? Yeah. You, just, that would have been comforting in itself, I imagine, just to have someone come and look at this problem that has come through a piece of paper, mm. um, to have a human being come and <laughs> look like they wanted to help you. That would already be really good for those people, I imagine. Yeah, prob- yeah probably. Uh, depends on the person, I suppose. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> We had um, the, we had a, an evening, Wednesday evening was the evening when a group of volunteer, mainly architects, but a couple of builders as well, um, would volunteer their services for three hours and we'd moved into the, the Fitzroy Council had owned an ex-supermarket and they were converting it to this, a new, sort of um, venture, which was the social planning office, which was pretty new in Melbourne at that time, and they were pretty innovative sort of people. And I think Fitzroy Residents Association, Peter, um, we did drawings for it, and um, I suppose you supervised it, or Peter I don't know, can't remember, we did, yeah. Anyway, we converted it as part of the um, Fitzroy Housing Advisory Service. And then people would come in with their issues and we'd discuss it with them and then during the week before work or something like that, you'd pop out and see them and discuss what could be done and... We had a list of um, tradesmen, we had a list of builders, we had a list of architects, I think. Um, Eventually, we we recommended the library start a tool library for people who are doing DIY. And um, what else? Uh, Eventually, the demand was so great that we started employing a part-time person to actually run run the to do the inspections during the daytime we still had the volunteers at night but it was getting onerous um, for people to do this work in the daytime um, and we got money via the red scheme I think which was another Whitlam scheme to employ people in community organisations. And it went for several years, I don't know, about five or seven years, something like that. Um, anyway, it was pretty terrific. But <laughs> and actually, I haven't asked you this, but how did it finish? How did it come to a conclusion? I don't know. Um, we, I think eventually we had two people who were employed full-time. Isn't, is that right? Yeah. What was that? It got taken over by the Ministry of Housing. Ah, that's right. And, yes, actually I think the guy who started Archie Centre at um, Institute of Architects yeah. came down at one stage and gave it the once over and I think it was the inspiration for the Archie Centre because that was a similar sort of service but um, 
constrained to design work only. Yeah, yeah that's pretty interesting. <laughs> um, try and understand that a little bit more, I think, as well. I'm sure everybody wants to find out more about that kind of thing. Um, but if we move along with all the things that we've prepared, um, I think there was just... Oh, yes. <laughs> you were keen to say something about me as well, which I felt wasn't necessary. But, um, <laughs> uh, but we did notice this quite nice relationship between um, the methodology, for example, with my PhD with Naomi's. Oh, and she's still there. I was going to say Naomi's disappeared. Naomi was one of my supervisors. Um, but the um, methodology of this very nice, detailed um, and local way of thinking, and we were um, noting at that point that um, it probably strangely has um, existed in some of my other research projects too, but we, I don't think we need to talk about those. <laughs> There's um, Curtain Call and mm, Byproduct Tokyo, yeah. but you were interested in... Um, Byproduct yeah. Tokyo is <laughs> true. <laughs> I think there's something about the small scale um, and particular nature of how things mm. operate, mm. Um, which you have to sort of um, be there for a while to be able to feel it and understand it and be able to draw it. Mm. And I think that's something that we definitely share. So whether it, the topic is history or um, sort of regional Victorian wonderful spaces, um, it doesn't really matter what the topic is if, or, or Tokyo, if um, there's this sort of idea of the attention to detail. That was something nice that we felt we shared. It's not working. Yes, it is. Um, um, but maybe we've gone a little over time. We have to eat our catering. So maybe one more question. <laughs> one or, more question. Do you want to have one oh. more question? Oh, do you want to ask me about Sejima? Um, Sejima. Yes, yes, yes definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sejima, the Japanese architect that you've worked for and studied under. Mm. <laughs> you have to talk about her. <laughs> so Sue was very keen for me to talk about um, Sejima-san. And I, um, Sue, who is one of the directors of Sana, and I was very privileged to um, be able to study in Tokyo. Um, and I'm met her and, and helped in their office um, with Nishizawa Ryuesan as well. Um, and the wonderful realisation I had by these lunches with you was that the beginning, the first and the last of my um, ex work experiences was with a remarkable woman. <laughs> um, 
which I hadn't noticed before, so that was pretty good. Um, and uh, I think, of course, I, I've, um, I've had lots of experiences, very great architectural learnings, um, but it was really amazing to witness how um, a certain type of balance I found between um, the way of interacting and, um, well, I, I would call it a kindness um, that I felt from both of you and her. And I, I would say that to everybody because probably not many people have met Sejima Sam, but um, she's amazingly kind and generous person, as is Sue, and I hope I can be as kind and generous and architectural <laughs> as they. <laughs> That's well, a good ending. <laughs> that is a beautiful ending. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a particular thrill for me to be here, not only having been involved with Marika's PhD, magnificent PhD, I must say, but also with your own work, Suzanne. So the, um, the drawings of the Fitzroy houses, which you know, as a, as a PhD student in the University of Queensland, I was also encountering, they travelled everywhere and they're just extraordinarily beautiful but also very satisfying drawings of the of occupation and inhabitation of space in a very detailed way. So if you haven't seen them, I absolutely commend them to you because they're, they're fantastic. So let us all join together once again in thanking Marika and Sue for a really fascinating conversation. You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. <laughs>